here with Phoebe Hunter-McElveen, who is half of Project Pico. Firstly, could you tell me what Project Pico is? Yeah, so um, Project Pico started out, um, cup, well, more than a couple of years ago, um, back in 2014, really. Um, and it was something Izzy and I had been, who's my project partner, um, had been talking about for years, just kind of how there's so little information shared with us about where our clothes come from. Um, so Isabel's, yeah, Isabel's background was in um, tailoring. She studied tailoring at LCF. Um, and we'd been friends for uh, years since we were at school. And um, when we were both studying in London, um, I was really interested in what Isabel was doing, working with natural um, fibres, and she was trying to use as sustainable material as possible in her degree shows and naturally dyeing and all these things. Um, and we were constantly discussing just how, yeah, as I said, how little information is shared with us about our clothes, but also mainly our basics, because there's a lot of things, as Izzy was a maker, there's lots of things that you could learn to make, you can mend, but actually, when it comes to your essential wear, like things that kind of are advisably replaced, <laughs> um, perhaps, um, we felt that there was a real um, lack of, yeah, simple, but like really beautiful basics. And um, that was, there was a couple of companies out there doing like basics that were using organic materials, but either they didn't have the whole story and we wanted to know exactly like, where they came from, all about the like farming, the farmers, the seed, like the whole story. Um, and also we were really keen that they had like a beautiful design aesthetic because you want to like, we like nice things, we like beautiful things. And just because they have like a good ethic, they, um, or ethics, they, we felt that that shouldn't compromise um, so the aesthetic. So it's a long, long story of us kind of doing a lot of research into the best materials. Um, and that led us to uh, going to India and finding out a lot more about organic cotton, conventional cotton, um, and the, the like amount of issues there are surrounding um, the whole industry, really. project that you did out of uni and you've just been really stuck to it or no no so um it had been a couple of years um like we'd been working on other things um Izzy left uni went and worked at a um woolen mill in London the only woolen mill as a weaver um like an apprentice weaver I um did various jobs that then led me into being head of events at Fever Tree um and then we kind of came together and we were living together and um, we started talking about this project. We started like visiting factories on our holidays in like Wales and we started like making samples of underwear and all of this. Um, and then it was actually Izzy's boyfriend, Alberto, who was like, guys, you've got to do this. You've got to like go for it. And Izzy was working as a seamstress on films at the time. We're both working crazy, crazy hours and we were just like, it's now or never. So, yeah, so in 2016, we quit our jobs and, um, yeah, and then started Pico. Went for it. Yeah. That's exciting. <laughs> Dived in. So, yeah. Yeah. So I was wondering why you chose the name Pico. Because... <laughs> it's quite... Um, <laughs> lots of, uh, yeah, midnight meetings on trying to decide a name of uh, P 
Pico. Um, but a lot of what we, like, we'd come up with things like trace or like uh, matter or all these things that um, had connotations to like provenance and care and you know, stories and all of this. Um, but then we actually were like, we want something really neutral and that doesn't have maybe any connotations. Um, and so Pico is Phoebe and Isabel. <laughs> Um, I say really tentatively. Um, what yeah. were the letters kind of mixed up in there? Because yeah. I googled it and it's the Spanish word for beak, and I was like, I don't think that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah. But it, yeah, no, it's not. It's not beak. And um, also, in hindsight, there's lots of lots of things it means. Um, in Argentinian, it also means like a little imprint, which is maybe quite nice. Yeah. Um, and then it also means um, like peak of a mountain and things yeah. like that. So maybe they're, they're all, you know, sort they all make sense. Putting meaning on it after you've shown <laughs> yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah. Our flying speed is 575 miles per hour. 75 miles per hour. Isabel is based in London, you're based in Bristol. What's the reason that you're in a different <laughs> city on the same project? Um, basically, um, I, I was keen to move to Bristol. I moved here with my boyfriend at the time, um, and this was a couple of years ago. For me, Bristol had a different energy to London that I was really looking for. Um, nearer to the countryside, wanted to get more into like community farming. And I don't know, I'd done six years in London. We were like, can we make this work, us being in different places? Um, and so we, yeah, we. I came here. I moved into a studio with Ol and Lou and... Um, and uh, yeah, Rosie and a few other people in the Odd Twin shop. Yeah, so it wasn't it wasn't a business or project like kind of decision. It was like um, life decision. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of good because Izzy's now thinking she might move to Portugal. Um, so it's been a good test us being mm. in different places. Um, I miss her dearly, but um, yeah, we I think. I'll be speaking with you again from time to time. Thank you. When you're driving your own ship, where is, you know, where do you want it to take you, and what does it mean? And you're you're defining that, and it's like, Izzy is a really amazing at making her own clothes. So recently we had this big chat, and I was like, you should be making more of your own things because we produce our our products in India. So it's like we're not making them ourselves, and and I think she misses that. I want to be more hands-on, so we were like, right, I need to get felting more, because I, I was working on a sheep farm um, as a shepherdess, and um, I've stopped that, so I now kind of am like, no, I want to get back into that, so I'm milking goats now as part of a project, and being like, no, this is part of it, this is part of the whole journey and our life, basically, so we need to allow those things to come into it, so... Um, yeah, if we expanded, I don't know what then would happen and whether that would all be possible. But so it's a constantly evolving project. Yeah, because you've got you started with underwear and you've recently moved into making like toweling and things like that. Yeah, we make towels now with a cooperative um, in Gujarat, um, and they're really amazing. They're, they're, um, the cotton is grown. Um, really locally to where this cooperative is um, and it's indigenous cotton that grows in the desert so it requires like 
absolutely no water. And basically no one was growing the cotton anymore because um, people weren't buying it because they couldn't turn it into like jersey fabric. It can only be woven because of the short fiber, um, like staple length. Mm -hmm. Um, So this cooperative called um, Khmer, who we work with, they went um, into Gujarat, well, they were in Gujarat, but after this disastrous earthquake, they went in and they like basically was supporting cultural like heritage and ecology and craft and they wanted to support artisans post this this huge earthquake and um as part of that they went to a lot of farmers like actually it's only like 40 farmers and said look if you grow this kala cotton it's called um then we'll buy it and it's amazing because they can't really grow much else in that region Mm. because of how arid it is um, so we've just made really simple undyed towels, big, big bath sheets um, and hand towels. And we're going to be making face cloths as well. We hope to have you with us again soon. Thank you. Now we're working on project three, which is with native fibres in the UK. So wool particularly. Mm-hmm. We're starting with, after my experience, um, working and on a farm that was kind of pioneering um uh rearing and breeding sheep for wool as well as for me so um yeah so that's the next stage and it's yeah it's, it's kind of uh epitomizes our kind of i don't like using the word journey but i guess it is a journey yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of uh exploring what like the textile industry as a whole and not just being like rigid to one thing or, or one product it's like we don't just want to be an underwear company so um, yeah. yeah you've won an award for being the ethical consumers like you have the highest rating on mm. the ethical consumers underwear list which sounds like a very specific thing to me but i've read <laughs> about it a bit and you're like the highest of 29 companies who, mm. how do you end up winning something like that and did it affect your business after you did win it yeah, um, so they actually got in contact um, with us um, and then it was kind of a long interview process and obviously one of the big things that we feel is really important and what we do on our website is share a lot of information and are really transparent about our supply chain. So they could get a lot from that um, and then they just asked us like rigorous questions about how we do things, how we operate, who we work with. Um, why we work with them um, and then they rate you on on all different kind of parts of your business and your ethos um, and um, uh, yeah so it, it was really amazing we were like absolutely chuffed to bits and I think um, yeah it did it did affect like our business we got a lot of a lot of traction and lots of orders from people who are looking for ethical underwear and when you look for it like people like the ethical consumer actually i don't really know anyone quite as kind of known as the ethical consumer for kind of doing ratings like that but um so actually well if you kind of type in ethical underwear then you will get sent to the ethical consumers guide um so it's yeah it's been really good um we're really been really grateful for that we hope to have you with us again soon Having spoken to a few other people who run small companies that make handmade goods using ethical processes, mm. 
it seems to me quite hard to find a balance between making the brand more successful and keeping mm. things because if you're having your your clothes made in India mm-hmm. like how do you how do you find the factory that you know is going to be treating their workers right giving them fair pay that kind of thing mm. how do you keep the, the brand profile high and reaching a large audience mm-hmm. without yeah, really sacrificing ha- anything it's very hard yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was a big uh, yeah it was kind of one of the big things that even when we hadn't even started properly was like this like but what if we get bigger and what then and then it was like wait a minute we haven't even sold any yet and it was like what we do why are we worrying about this but it was really good to kind of be in that mindset because we've even seen other brands who have um really high ethical credentials who have grown and gone like kind of like ah help because i I started out visiting all the factories all the time, going to, um, like, being really hands-on, involved, super connected. And then now they've grown and grown and grown in popularity and haven't been able to do that so much because it's just expanded. So it's like we were, I don't know, we've always been conscious of that, but that was one of the reasons we started working with the factory we do um, because they're really small. So they're 10 p- permanent members of staff, only permanent members of staff. And um, yeah, it's we'd visited various fair trade factories around India um, on our first research trip. So we've, um, we're going out again in October, but we've been a few, um, been uh, twice before as well since launching. And um, um, we visited other ones that were had like 250 people working in them. One factory, which is kind of one of the most well-known fair trade factories in India, has 3,000 people working there. And it just felt way too vast, big, scary. Like, how do, you, how do we feel connected to all of that? And now we're working with Grish and we have a really close relationship with him. He's a factory manager. And... Um, and we've been out there and we you know we know we're, we're starting to get to know the people in the factory more and we feel like there's a real trust there and as well as having all the kind of you know fair trade stamps knowing their welfare um system in the factory knowing exactly how they operate um we actually have like a relationship which is like really nice um and i think in terms of if we got bigger it's like I don't know we'll have to keep in a way I don't think Izzy and I ever want to get really big because there's things like I said before it's that I want to be part of the felting for our next project and Izzy wants to do more making herself so there's we we are like in control of that a bit so it's like yeah I there is a there is a question around I guess like are you having more impact the more people that you're reaching and then it's like ah yeah. <laughs> I don't know lots but, of difficult questions you got to ask yourself I guess yeah, but, yeah yeah but um good to be questioning constantly mm. I think yeah. I hope <laughs> factory owners and things like that do you find that they're surprised by how concerned you are about their workers um, welfare because there are globalized com- um, companies mm. 
will just turn a blind eye for the right price kind of thing, won't they? That's why the problem is there in the first place, mm-hmm. because they just want to get the cheapest labour they can, and that's why the workers' conditions are so poor. I think we were very fortunate that the person, like Grish and his team, that we decided to work with, who were the factories sewing, the fair trade factories sewing the garments, they had the relationships already with our whole supply chain and with the organic farmers cooperatives that we're working with. Um, So everyone within our supply chain has, as the core of their business, is that transparency, is that, like, openness, well, like, fair working conditions, all these things. So they know that we expect it and they are have set out to do it if you know what I mean so we haven't gone to many conventional you know farms that aren't producing in an organic um standard and um we haven't gone to many like big factories that are are not fair trade and ask those questions and that would be something that in terms of research would be good but then it's like what are we what are we looking for we wouldn't be working with them so is it appropriate to go and just ask questions i don't know a lot of the bigger companies are still really really focused on price even like and sometimes it takes a lot to get like they might be like oh we we want all organic now but we don't want to pay anymore and you're like what? like no like no it's not <laughs> right and it's there's still those yeah there's there's still those issues and I think if you look at a lot of the factories sewing and the the tailors that actually a lot of yeah it's it's so complicated but I guess a lot of it has come from companies wanting it cheaper and then that factory going outsourcing and contracting to other places and then it's like a lot of the time maybe the bigger companies the globalized companies aren't even always aware of what's going on we all need to buy less and we need to buy better but also produce less and not like you know like it's just like everything needs to be scaled down so yeah it's so do you when you design your underwear and towels and things like that are you designing them in a way that they would last for longer than an existing product yeah like that's the kind of there's the William Morris concept of like things being beautiful, useful, and durable, and I think we've always kind of had that in in the back of our mind um, when designing. And like if you feel our underwear, you can see it's a lot feels it doesn't make itself very beautiful, but there's almost substance to it. Yeah. Like, um, and um, yeah, it's the idea is that they last um, yeah as long as as long as possible. And we've even been talking about with the accrue ones like we're now doing a range of um naturally dyed ones as well so um so yeah the i guess it's slightly off off the topic but even maybe you could dye your accrue ones like yourself if you wanted to and then they last forever if they so um yeah um we want them to last and again like i think as in with lots of people in this shop and i know with males and and with Vol and Lewis, like not only are they timeless and made to last, but they are also like non-seasonal. Like, and that was a big thing that we always wanted as well. It's like we don't. We've been asked often, like, what's this season's range? And we're like, these are our products, 
and we will produce the idea is that we will produce these pants and keep producing and keep producing them those same ones in small batches like and we'll add a few things but like it's not going to chop and change all the time like especially with underwear if you find a pair that you like and is comfy like you want them to stick around and you want like if you do want to buy more at some point then they're still there so that's really important for us too yeah. much higher and faster than you've ever flown imagine that you've got infinite money for an uh, advertising campaign who would you like to model your underwear and why oh wow uh <laughs> there's a um well she's actually a model called um alison sudell who um is part of um this program called synchronicity earth which is all about um kind of changing um it's like basically like they've got an it's called fabrics of life i think it's like this series of events all about like the fashion industry and she is one of the like four kind of people pioneering um that and she's really great she's really like uh she's got some of our pants and she's um yeah pioneering ethical fashion and um, she's really open and, and also about like her emotions, about everything, and she's just like a really lovely person. So maybe her, yeah. yeah. We were saying that we would like to do some pictures, like kind of celebrate, like kind of like you're doing, like celebrating what people are doing, and like actually um, we're doing this thing called a Pico Day where it's just kind of people in their pants or with our products doing what they're doing like in their daily life and so like friends are like friends and peers and people we like other makers and people we respect like I think that's we're surrounded by them and it's like it's what keeps us going so it'd be nice to yeah it'd be great to have them in all of in it really we're now at cruising So how can people find your products? So online, um, so our website is um, project-pico.com um, and then we're in obviously the Odd Twin Shop where we are now um, on St Nick's Street and then we're in a few um, other stores, Hetty's store in London, Henry London um, and then there's places like Ryder and Hope um, and um, Remind Studio and the Woodhouse. There's a couple of we got a couple of stockists all around which you can find on our website as well. So if you're out and about and would like to have a look at them in in real life, um, Instagram. Yeah, um, we actually have two Instagrams. Um, one is uh, Pico Goods, which is more product based, and then uh, the other one is um, Project Pico, um, Project Pico, which is um, more kind of our research into the kind of textile industry and fibers in general and kind of the stories behind our products so um slightly we we feel like it makes sense to kind of have them they're they're intertwined but also their own entities as well so cool. all right thanks very much for talking to me that's right thank you very much it was sorry i witted on probably <laughs> as always <laughs>